0: great to have you with us again today. There is so much just in the news to make people feel hopeless these days. Terrorism and crime and lawlessness and the breakdown of the family. It just goes on and on and on. But as Christians, we know that we have hope, and that is because of what Jesus has done for us. How can our hope in Christ change our lives and the lives of those around us, especially when everything around us tends to look hopeless? Well, we're gonna talk about it today with former atheist and Christian apologist, Lee Strobel, who serves as professor of Christian thought at Houston Baptist University. And we're gonna be discussing his book. It is called The Case for Hope, looking ahead with confidence and courage. And Lee, this is great timing, and it's wonderful to have you here.
1: Well, thanks, Janet. Wonderful to be with you.
0: Thank you. What do you make right now of the state of hope in America?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that George Gallup said um, 30 years ago, and and you you listen to this quote and you say, wait a second, he could have said this today. Uh, He said, people in many nations appear to be searching with a new intensity for spiritual moorings. Hmm. He said one of the key factors prompting this search is a need for hope in these troubled times. So he said that 30 years ago, and I I think that's true more today than ever, that in these times, as you mentioned, some of the crises that are going on in our families and in our nation and our world... Uh, people are looking for hope, and so they're searching for spiritual moorings, for spiritual grounding. And that's good news, I believe, for the gospel, because Jesus does provide what Hebrews talks about, an anchor for our soul, a mooring for our soul.
0: Absolutely. And you contrast this with some of the other ways of thinking in our society. We have people who have a lot of wishful thinking, or they're just optimistic, or they have hopeful dreams. I think it's really good that you contrast these things, though, with biblical hope. How would you best contrast the the first category against what Scripture says is our hope?
1: Well, you know, I think when people talk about hope, often they mean wishful thinking, which is the kind of thing that, you know, you blow out your uh, birthday candles on your cake, and you kind of have this uh, this wishful thinking that oh my year next year is going to be better than last year, or I, I I hope I have good health this year, or we hope our stocks don't plummet, or whatever <laughs> this hope. But our hope really has no power to change reality. It's just kind of you know things that we wish for. It's wishful thinking, and then there's blind optimism, which is sort of putting on rose-colored glasses and seeing everything in a purely positive light which is a good thing to see things positively but Sometimes we go overboard, and um, we kind of avert our eyes from the trouble of the world and kind of stick our head in the sand. That doesn't change anything either. And then there's there's these uh, hopeful dreams, which is when we have ambitions for the future, we goals for the future. But th- those are limited. I mean, they're limited by our own abilities, by our own finances. You know, I can I have a goal or a, a, a hopeful dream that I'm going to play for the NBA, but that's never going to happen, <laughs> no matter what I do, yeah. no matter how much I practice. So we're limited. But as you say, uh, biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill the promises he'd made to his followers. That, to me, is, is what anchors me in hope.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think of one particular thing that I see in the news or I'll see on social media all the time, and some tragedy will occur and a number of people might die, whether it's a terrorist act or a shooting or something like that. And they'll say, sending out our prayers to those who have died, or we hope they're in a better place now. And I thought, without Christ, how can you hope? How can you have that confident assurance that you talk about?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we uh, profess, for he who promised is faithful. Because we have a faithful God, because we have faith in Jesus Christ, who by his death and resurrection demonstrated his power over life and death, um, that gives us hope. You know, Jesus was different than other religious leaders. A lot of other religious leaders um, would talk about pain and suffering that we endure in this world as being maya or illusion. It's sure. really illusion. But Jesus, unlike those leaders, was honest. You know, he said, um, um, you know, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Right. He was honest. This right. is a sin-stained world in which we live. He said in John 16:33. In this world, you will have trouble. But, he said, have courage because I have overcome the world. Right. And because he has overcome the world, we know that we will overcome the world ultimately and that he will open the door of heaven for all who follow him.
0: Yes, it's so awesome. Now, everybody knows that you were an atheist and before you became a Christian. And right. when you reflect back on those days, did you feel hopeless at the time?
1: Boy, I tell you, there are times when I definitely did. I remember when our daughter was born and almost died, uh, the doctors weren't sure what was wrong with her, but she was in intensive care. They told us to prepare for the worst. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that moment, being an atheist, my wife was agnostic. We didn't have anything to anchor our hope to. And... um, you know, when, when you, you hope, of course, things are going to turn out, you hope that she's going to get well, you hope that she's going to be okay. But the only way hope has any real power is when we anchor it to the God who has real power. Right. And so we didn't have that. And so it was a frightening time to be facing, uh, you know, a personal tragedy like that and uh, not have anything to anchor your hope to. Um, you know, we could wish all we want, but it doesn't change the circumstances. Now, fortunately, she uh, lived and uh, thrived and now is the mother of two of my uh, four grandchildren. So it turned out all right. But uh, in that moment when you feel hopeless because you don't have um, um, this confident expectation that God loves us and uh, has adopted us as his children, that is a frightening place to be.
0: Well, it is. And I'm so glad things turned out for your daughter and for the whole family. Yeah. But w- when you're going through that, though, it's so interesting to me to hear a lot of your testimony, because I, I often wonder, I've never had a time in my life where I didn't know the Lord. And so mm. it's difficult to sort of identify, what would I have done as an atheist? Yeah, Just saying, I hope things turn out okay. I mean, you're so smart. I'm sure on some level you were saying, that's not really enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you you put your hope in medical technology, you put your hope in the doctors, um, and you know that's limited. It's limited by their limitations. Right. Um, it, it's only as good as how well they perform in the operating room. But um, you know, when when you lack that ultimate anchor for the soul that Hebrews talks about. Oh, man, you're you're floating by yourself, you. and and you know it's interesting that uh, I keep going back to this when when I have a episode in my life that's frightening or where I feel like hope is being drained away. The the Bible talks in First Peter very specifically about linking our hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, and so. You know, I often will go back in those times of of stress and those times of difficulty, even as a believer, uh, to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, my hope is ultimately grounded in the historic reality that Jesus returned from the dead. And, you know, I spent two years of my life as an atheist uh, investigating the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And I can go back to that and say, yes, because that is true, because Jesus overcame the world, He can help me overcome this situation.
0: Yes, that's great. And you talk about the emptiness of atheism, the emptiness of other world religions, where you're depending maybe on your good works or your high expectations for yourself or you're trying really hard. Ultimately, as you've mentioned, there's no anchor there. But for those who say, I'm listening and maybe I fall into that category, what is the difference between you as a Christian and somebody who says, but I feel pretty good about life and I have hope, the main thing that you've mentioned there is the resurrection of Christ. It isn't yeah. just the death of Christ, but his resurrection. Oh,
1: absolutely. It is, it is not just his death, which is an atoning death, that, uh, which he paid for uh, the sins of the world, but also the, the, the resurrection through which he opened the door of heaven to all of us who follow him. And, you know, I go back to the evidence of that. Um, You know, we look at the evidence for the execution of Jesus, that he was truly dead. We've got not only multiple accounts of this in the documents that make up the New Testament, but we've got five ancient sources outside the Bible confirming and corroborating his execution. Uh, We've got accounts that he rose from the dead. We have an account of the resurrection of Jesus that has been dated back by scholars to within months of his death. I mean, that is historical gold. It comes far too quickly uh, after his death to merely be explained away by saying it's a legend. Uh, So we have very immediate reports of his resurrection. We have the empty tomb. And, you know, even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty because when the disciples declared that Jesus had risen, um, what they said was, oh, well, the disciples stole the body. Yeah. So they're conceding the tomb was empty, um, but then saying that um, we can explain that away. Isn't that can interesting? It
0: Hang on just a second, Lee. We're going to come back talking about the case for hope with Lee Strobel. Stay with us.
2: Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life.
0: Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn
2: my four oldest children were adopted, that is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because cause of people that are involved with ministries like preborn
0: Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time they choose life. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support pre-born in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, just call eight five five four zero two 402 baby That's 855 402 Four o two twenty two twenty nine. 402 2229 All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMetford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's Janet. We're back on Janet Mefford Today. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness as the great hymn puts it. And we have so many passages about hope. I think of Romans 5, for example, where Paul is talking about being justified through faith. And because of that, we have peace with God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Lee Strobel is joining us. We're talking about his book, The Case for Hope. And you are making a great point. We were talking about some of the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus, Mm -hmm. upon which all of our hope is based. And you even mentioned how interesting it is that even the detractors admitted the tomb was empty. So where do you go from there?
1: Exactly. I mean, you've got everybody uh, on all sides either conceding uh, implicitly or declaring uh, explicitly that Jesus' tomb was empty. And then on top of that, we've got nine ancient sources inside and outside the Bible confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. I mean, that is an avalanche of historical data. So much from ancient history we know from maybe one source or two sources. We've got nine ancient sources, not just in the Bible, but outside the Bible confirming that the disciples encountered him, and of course it transformed their lives and their willingness to suffer. We have seven ancient sources to, uh, showing that the disciples were willing to live lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Right. So we've got strong historical data that uh, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a legend, it's not make-believe, it's not wishful thinking, but it is an actual historical event upon which we can anchor our hope.
0: That's right. Well, you were mentioning uh, Mike Lacona in the book and his minimal yeah. facts, Defending the Resurrection. A lot of people will know Mike Lacona, another apologist. One of the things that he talked about, I should say, too, focused on this issue of skeptics or even people who were hostile to the faith. We think of Saul, who later became mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And we also think of Jesus' skeptical half-brother, James, both right. of whom follow Jesus. Why do you think that those are both strong arguments? Because maybe, you know, people who are skeptical may say, okay, well, people convert to religions all the time. What What's the big deal?
1: Yeah, I think it's important that we have evidence of people who um, were inclined in the other direction strongly, and yet whose minds were changed, not because they heard a story, not because somebody uh, taught them something in Sunday school, they read it in the newspaper, but because they were there Uh, and encountered uh, personally uh, the resurrected Jesus. Uh, So we have, as you mentioned, Saul, the great persecutor of Christians, who encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus and becomes the Apostle Paul, Uh, and then the half-brother of Jesus, uh, James, who was skeptical of Jesus during Jesus' lifetime, who um, not only uh, encountered uh, the resurrected Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15, but ultimately died um, uh, for his proclamation and and his leadership of the Church. I think those are uh, are helpful examples. You know, when some people will say, well, look at terrorists today. Um, You know, terrorists will die for their faith because they honestly and sincerely believe if they die this way, they're going to go to paradise. Right. Well, what's the difference then? And what the disciples, they were willing to suffer and and to die. Uh, So what's the difference? And the difference is, A terrorist today may die and be willing to die because he sincerely believes something to be true, but he doesn't know for a fact if it's true. He's just been taught it. He just has faith in it. Now, contrast that with the disciples. Of all the human beings who've ever lived in history, they were in a unique position to know for a fact whether Jesus returned from the dead or not. They were there. They touched him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They knew the truth, and knowing the truth they were willing to die for it that's a huge difference.
0: Great point. Yeah, absolutely. They they were 100% convinced because they had 100% proof when you see exactly. Jesus living that's and right. walking around. Yeah, it's a little yes. hard to hard to have any more questions about that. Right. But you know, you mentioned terrorism, and this is a perfect point at which we can sort of talk about the issue of suffering. We We mentioned that a little bit earlier, and that Romans 5 passage I was quoting from earlier also mentions, we glory in our sufferings, and suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. We yeah. see, for example, Example, these persecuted Christians in the Middle East Who are just being absolutely obliterated And wiped out by ISIS yeah. And we don't have that experience In the United States, praise God We're not in yeah. those circumstances at this juncture anyway What is it about Our hope in Christ That can give us confidence Even in the midst of the worst Persecution, which the disciples Obviously understood as well
1: Yeah, you, you know, when I go through uh, Episodes of suffering myself Or pain or tragedy you know, Five years ago, uh, I was on the edge of death and, and hospitalized, and as the doctor told me, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. Um, so, and we've all gone through. You we know, have gone through the death of parents and so forth and tragedies in our lives. Um, here's the things I keep in mind in the midst of that. Number one, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Um, You know, he wasn't the one that that introduced it into the cosmos. Um, He saw what he had made and it was good. Uh, And it was our own decision to walk away from God to sin that introduced moral and um, uh, natural evil into the world. Um, So God didn't create the evil and suffering. The second thing I remember is, even though suffering is not good, God can use it to accomplish good. Um, And he can use it to, to change our character, as you said, um, uh, he can promises in Romans eight twenty eight he'll cause good to emerge for all those who follow him, so that's an important thing to remember. And then I think it's important to remember that the day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. Yeah. Um, you know, the day is coming. I, you know, I wrote a novel a while ago, and, you know, if someone read half my novel and slammed it shut and said, you know, Strobel's a terrible writer. He didn't resolve all the plot uh, in this book. I said, wait a second. You only read half the book. <laughs> you know, you have to read the whole book. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the day, the day is, is coming. When suffering will cease, God will judge evil, and you know. So why is He waiting? Why doesn't He do it now? Because the Second Peter tells us um, he, he, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That that um, He's patient with us. Yes and then the fourth thing i remember is that our our suffering will pale in comparison to what god has in store for his followers right. and you you look at paul talking about this uh, you know i consider that my present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us that's it and then finally I, I i always remember we decide we decide whether we're going to turn bitter or we're going to turn to god for peace and courage uh, when we suffer uh, that's a choice we make, and you know, you, the same people who were had children who are victims of drunk drivers. One will turn bitter and inward and angry uh, for the rest of their life, and the other will found mothers of drunk against drunk drivers to try to do something about this this carnage. Um, so, you know, people respond in different ways to. Uh, pain and suffering, and and I think we have to make that choice. Um, and, and I think the best choice, you know, Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted; he saves those who are crushed in spirit. His, his arms are open to us. Um, he isn't some distant and and disinterested deity, but Jesus entered into our suffering. Uh, and endured suffering probably worse than I'll ever endure, right. um, and he did it why? Because of his love for us to open the gates of heaven.
0: Absolutely, you know a lot of Americans that I talk to, Leon. You probably talk to a lot of people too who say these sorts of things. Are they're very depressed right now, Christians? Yeah. As we look at what's going on in the United States, we've seen gay marriage forced upon us. We've seen cultural decline. We've seen the economy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We know what's going on. Yeah, and there is a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety, not because they don't have the hope of heaven, but because we're saying our world is being turned upside down and we're not Mm -hmm. really sure what we're supposed to do. How do you speak to Christians about that issue?
1: Yeah, you know, the the Bible says um, we're to be salt and light in the midst of a culture that is dark and is headed down the wrong path. Um, you know, the, Jesus looked out at a group of people in Matthew chapter 5 and said, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Right. And he told us to shine his message of hope and compassion and grace and forgiveness and eternal life, his message of justice and peace, to shine that message into dark areas of despair. And it gets harder in times when the times get darker. And uh, it gets harder to be that light. But you know what, the, the, yeah, I, I, I always have confidence Uh, in the future, because God is still in the life-changing business. (laughs) And some of the people who I have seen who are the most ardent racists, who are the most uh, pro-abortion activists, who are the most... Um, you know, you, you know, uh, campaigning on the wrong sides of social issues. How many times have I seen uh, um, God seize their soul and them come to faith, and, and to see this radical turnaround in their values and their character, and their and their um, morality and so forth? I, I, he's still in the life-changing business. I've seen him change my own own life. I've seen. I have friends who've been on death row as murderers. So I've seen him change their life. I've seen. Uh, my friend Ron, who was a street gang leader, shot a guy in the back, and how God transformed Ron's life. And um, another friend who was a, a racist who became a pastor of a multiracial church. I mean, th- there is hope in this world, because God hasn't given up on this world yet. Right. And and you wonder it sometimes, why doesn't he just walk away from the United States? What is this? Why doesn't he just wipe the, the dust off his sandals and walk away, The nation killing its unborn at the rate we do? It's a nation that is is flaunting... Uh, biblical morality the way that we do? Why doesn't God just walk away? Um, but you know what? There is, there, the, the grace of God passes human understanding. And uh, His love, at least for now, is there for us. And you know, the Bible says if we repent, if we turn, um, he'll greet us with open arms.
0: Love that. That's so well said. I love what Jesus said to Martha, and everybody will know this verse I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And asks Martha, Do you believe this? And she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. That has not changed. I, it right. just strikes me. That's exactly the point. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will never die. I How can you not have hope when you trust in Christ that way?
1: Exactly. And the the fact that God, you know, through Jesus Christ, um, being honest about the fact that you do live in a sin-stained world. Right. And uh, consequently, we need to expect that people who are not Christians are not going to act like Christians. Sure. Uh, Pagans are going to act like pagans. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised at the direction the world is going. Um, On on the other hand, there is a light, and, and, and his name is Jesus, and he has given us to be light into a darkened world.
0: He certainly has. Well, The Case for Hope, Looking Ahead with Confidence and Courage, a greatly timed book. Lee Strobel joining us. Lee, thank you so much.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Great to be with you.
0: Great to talk to you. We'll be back. Welcome back to Janet for Today, Romans chapter 12 gives us a great admonition on the way the Christian ought to live and the way he ought to think. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Great passage. And we could also add to this Proverbs 23, 7, which says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But how do we win this battle for our minds when we still battle with sin and the world and the flesh and the devil and the problems that we all face in our everyday lives? How do we truly honor the Lord with the way we think? Great subject, and we're going to talk about it today with Lance Hahn, who is Senior Pastor of Bridgeway Christian Church in Rockland, California, and author of the book we'll be discussing called The Master's Mind, The Art of Reshaping Your Thoughts. Lance, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: easy. Huge honor just to be on your program thank you
0: well my honor is having you here because I love this subject and I think this is a fantastic thing to address with the body of Christ what is so important do you think just as a pastor about this art of reshaping your thoughts what really brought you into the realm of thinking about this in the first place as an important subject for you to address
2: yeah I think it became very personal very early so for example Uh, My first book that I wrote, I wrote about the fact that I have had panic disorder since I was six years old. Mm. Back then, we didn't know what that was, but, but the very heart of that is irrational thoughts that I had, manifestations of panic attacks and choking fits and all these things. Well, when your mind goes ballistic, you spend the rest of your life trying to bring it back into order, and for me... Jesus Christ being my hero, he was my only hope. He's the only one that understood me. He's the only one that could get into that dark place when no one else could help me. And I knew that the only way to make things relatively right was to align my thoughts with his and let his mind kind of take over my mind.
0: Wow. That is horrible, though, and especially as such a young child to have panic disorder like that. And for somebody who's never gone through that, that involves just what? Just, you know, getting all upset and being able to un—you know, calm yourself down, being unable to really function in some respects. Was that kind of paralyzing for you? And is that still a problem for you?
2: Yeah, so it is, it's unfortunately worse than you might imagine. Mm. Uh, so when, because it's irrational, it triggers you into a fight-or-flight mentality. And because there's nothing to fight, you want to run away because you feel like you're going to die. The yeah. problem is, where are you going to run? Right. The, if, if the attack is happening in your head, it's going to follow you everywhere you go. And so what it does that it creates an irrational panic, fear, overwhelming feeling, and you feel like you're going to die. So for me, I ended up, some people have heart racing and sweaty palms, things like that. Uh, My body went the other direction, and it began to feel like it was going to pass out. (laughs) My body started collapsing down. Or for example, uh, I would have times when I felt like I was going to get sick to my stomach, and I couldn't go in public. At a point, I was agoraphobic, couldn't even leave the house for a period of time. Oh, boy. So it was pretty severe, right? So yeah. I've had ups and downs in my life, but how ironic that God has me as a pastor of a very large church, and my entire life, I've been in front of people doing the one thing that seems to be one of the biggest fears for everyone, which is public
0: speaking. Yeah. That that is not necessarily a profession or a calling that you might choose if you were suffering <laughs> oh. from panic disorder. Now have you had any issues with it while you're preaching? Has it ever occurred while you're up on in front of the oh, congregation?
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yes, as a matter of fact, there was a season where I would have my team waiting behind the stage with a chair that if I thought I was going to get weak in my knees or collapse, I would sit down. There's a couple times I've sat down and preached. (sighs) And there was also a season where I had one of my co-pastors, my associate pastors, sit in the front row with my notes that if at any moment I was going to go down, he had to stand up. And finish my sermon.
0: Oh, that is so tough. That's hard. That's really hard. So what have you done about that? You know, people will say, well, you're a pastor, you're a Christian. Why are you allowing these irrational thoughts to take hold of you? As you say, it's really not something you can control. So how does this all tie into reshaping your thoughts? What have you learned over the years as a Christian about reshaping your thoughts and the extent to which that's helped you?
2: Yeah, one of the reasons why I wrote both of these books is because uh, I was so frustrated with the shame and the hiding that came with Christians. Not being able to bring it out in the light and talk about it. They thought, if I was a good Christian, I shouldn't have this problem. Well, we do. So we can either you know, ha- live or die in it, right? right? So for me, what ends up happening is that half of it is chemical. So in my personal life, I actually have to take medication for the chemical side of it because that's simply good stewardship. If I had a broken leg, I would wear a brace, or I'd wear a cast. When my mind is broken, I have to have a crutch of some sort to help me move forward. So I handle that as a good steward. The other half of it is really warfare in the mind, and this is really what I wanted to dig into with this book, which is... As we are supposed to, because of what Jesus bought for us, we are supposed to be the masterminds of our own minds, so we could submit them to the true master of our minds who bought it on the cross, right? Yes. So, if that's the case, then everything has to do with submitting our minds to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, so we start thinking like Him and let Him call the shots. I believe the definition of success for all believers— is simply this obedience because god doesn't need us he allows us to partner with him and in order to do that he gets to say what's important and what's not he gets to say what's real and what's false what's fantasy he's the dictator of reality and so i wanted to write a book that talked about how do we allow him to shape our worldview, not our own crazy, passionate minds.
0: That's great, because you mention in your book five of the most common mental takeovers. You talk about depression and anxiety and idolatry and addiction and anger. So clearly, there are a lot of other people, a lot of other Christians who can relate to what you're saying. Maybe they have problems with depression or anxiety. I mean, a lot of people are suffering, and I think a lot of people want the freedom to be able to control their thoughts and just don't know how to do it. So where do you begin? We have the Word of God. The Word of God is all-powerful. What do you do as a Christian to go from having these mental takeovers to really embracing the master's mind, as you say?
2: Yeah, I think that that the most practical, easiest beginning step is what you just said. The Word of God is so powerful for a variety of reasons. I think sometimes we make it... Uh, and, And rightfully so, very spiritual and supernatural and dramatic. I think sometimes we also need to make it practical. Here's the reality for me, is that I need to get my mind back into Scripture, because in the Bible I am reminded... That though the enemy is mighty around me, there are chariots of fire all the way around. And that's when Elisha says to his servant, there are more for us than there are against us. Mm. Lord, would you open up his eyes to see the power of God? It's, It's in the Bible, I need to be reminded that giants get slain by the little guys. It's, I need to be reminded that that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only walked through fire, but there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes. That means that I have a victorious God, that the world is not just simply random, that God is the one that is in charge and reigning on the throne, and when I get my head into a practical space where I am victorious with the Lord, things begin to come back in alignment. And calm down.
0: That's so true. There's so much to flesh out in what you just said. And one of the things I want to delve into a little bit when we come back from this break is something that you have said here, Lance, that a Christian's entire identity needs to be shaped by the reality of what Christ did on the cross. I love that you said that, and I want to talk more about that when we come back. Lance Hahn with us, The Master's Mind, The Art of Reshaping Your Thoughts, his book, will return right after this on Janet Mefford Today. Did you know that bible believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth.
2: And many people, they are really... Uh, hungry for the Word of God and then they need the Bible.
0: Nipo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10 and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD. 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 Or there's a banner to click at JanetMaffer.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not an insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. Welcome back to Janet Meffer today. The Bible has an awful lot to say about our thoughts. Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We remember Isaiah 55, 8, where the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. The question is, how do we bring our thoughts into alignment with the master's mind? It's the name of the book by Pastor Lance Hahn, who's joining us today. So Lance, I mentioned before the break this great quote that you've got in your book, A Christian's Entire identity identity needs to be shaped by the reality of what Christ did on the cross. Can you talk a little bit about the connection between what Christ did for us and what our identity should be?
2: Yeah, I actually think, Janet, that that the essence of the Christian life is all from the same root. It's like Jesus, when we said yes to him as our Savior, our rescuer, he put a package on our doorstep. The whole rest of our Christian life is opening up the package and going, wow, he gave me what? <laughs> he gave me that, and he gave me that, and he gave me that. It's... Because what Jesus did on the cross was change everything in nature and supernature. It means that what he did is he took the very concept of forgiveness, the very concept of grace, is a whole lifetime of unpacking wait, 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 God loves me total now. That just like I love my two daughters. I'm never going to not love them that I am in a new state of being that my Christian life is no longer performance based it is now love and grace based it's response and gratitude and and one after another it's like every sermon pours from this heart that what Jesus did on the cross by changing the very core of who we are igniting our divine nature all that is now just unpacking every day in our Christian life.
0: That's great. I think of so many times where the Apostle Paul was making that exact same point to all the different churches that he was penning letters to. Remember who you are, Christian. Do you think that that's one of our biggest problems in the churches? We forget who we are in Jesus Christ?
2: I, I think that is it. You're so right. Um, it's the idea of how did Jesus respond to the temptations of the devil? And a lot of it went back to going, no, 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 no. I know my Father, and I know who I am. So, no, you don't get to tell me who I am. You don't get to distort me. You don't get to tell me a different way of living. I know who I am. And if you read just what you said, Janet, you're so brilliant, is that Paul, before he would go to a challenge, he would remind them of identity yeah, every time. He did. And the reason why the Bible has so many challenges for us or calls to live higher is because we were built to already.
0: Good. Yeah, that's a great point. Really great point. Now, one of the things, Lance, that comes to mind when you're talking about embracing our new identities and our callings in the Lord is something else that you mentioned in the book where you say we don't sin because we don't love God. We sin because we don't fully understand and embrace these new identities and callings that we have from the Lord. So when we're talking on the one hand about anxious thoughts or depressing thoughts. There's the other component, which is sinful thoughts. And this is an area we all struggle in. I thought something really mean. Nobody knows I actually thought it, but the Lord knows I thought it. This is a a point of daily struggle. I know I struggle with this. I'm sure everybody does who's listening to some extent. What do we do about the thoughts that come into our minds that displease the Lord? Because that can be a real form of mental torture for us. I don't want to think this anymore, Lord, but what do I do?
2: Yeah, I think that we tend to operate out of a vacuum, and that's never going to work. So, for example, we we even teach from our pulpits, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it ends up digging out things out of the hole, but it doesn't fill them with anything positive. And what that ends up doing is a vacuum creates a sucking motion, and it pulls things into it. So what we end up needing to do is replace that which is negative with that which is positive to be able to shove out the bad stuff. So when it comes to sin, think about it this way, that when we feel like what other people What other people think of us matters more than what God thinks of us. We're going to cut corners, we're going to compromise, we're going to do things that are wrong. If we feel like mankind is our only source of satisfaction, we're going to crave them and we're going to use them as a consumable. If we have this constant longing for something more because we're not living in god's natural rhythms and we're too exhausted and wiped out we're going to fill it with drugs and sex, and we're going to fill it with all these crazy things because we're too empty and that's not how he built us
0: right so we're going back then to what you said earlier about the power of the word of god and not only is it supernatural but it's practical so how do you deal with people in your congregation for example who say i'm really struggling with my thoughts pastor i'm reading my bible what do i do as a christian to apply the word of god to my life in a way that will affect my thoughts
2: Yeah, I I think that um, the first thing we need to do is we need to stop making it worse. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We need to turn off the autopilot. You know, on a plane, they have the autopilot that kind of runs automatically. We need to grab back the steering wheel, and we need to be thinking and living purposefully. So, for example, as opposed to just going through our normal habits, every day we have to do this idea of, wait, what am I doing? (laughs) Why am I doing this? And we have to do a little bit more self-reflection to begin to see the unhealthy patterns and remake them. So, for example, if you finish at the end of the day and you look back and you go, why was I so snappish? Man, I was on everybody's case. You know, I'm yelling at this person and this person. What is going on with me? And then you pray through it, Lord, I'm a mess, I'm so mean today. What are you trying to tell me? What is wrong with me? And that's when the Holy Spirit speaks in the moment. And all of a sudden, all these thoughts start flooding into your mind. Well, you know what? You're way over-exhausted at work. You're kind of being a workaholic. Or, you know what? When that person wounded you, you never even processed it. you got all this garbage coming up, and you're still mad. These types of things, as we process through them, they begin to heal Little by little, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, prayer, worship, all that stuff becomes practical. And it begins to knit us together.
0: Those are really important things, as is something else that you said earlier, Lance, which is the importance of obedience. You say in the book, we no longer have to sin. And I'm so glad to hear that because sometimes I will read Christian books or I'll read an article from a Christian who says, well, we're going to be sinners until Christ redeems us finally and we're in heaven with him, which is absolutely true. But there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of discussion, or at least the, the extent to which I think it's needed, that as a Christian, because you are now uh, someone with a new nature, you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you are a new creature in Christ, that you do have an obligation. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Can you talk about the importance of obedience in the Christian life?
2: Yeah, right there. I was saying, man, you need to fill my pulpit. That was good preaching. Uh, right no
0: there. way. That
2: was, <laughs> that was so good, so good. Um, yeah, so the obedience, here's, here's the thing that I think we forget we keep thinking that we are just like the world. But you have to remember, the world does not have the light on, which means they have no option but to sin. Yeah. And, and you go, well, that's not true. They can be good people. I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about sin. Sin is anything contrary to the nature of God. Yes. If they do not know the Lord, if they do not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, then they cannot align with someone they do not know. Therefore, their only option is to sin. But the moment Jesus Christ rescues us and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and the light turns on, you now know the One. You now are hearing from the One. You now have a different reality, like the Matrix. It comes alive in your world, and you know what's real And you now can choose to pursue the Lord. You no longer have to sin. It is actually suddenly a choice for you. And that's why God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You keep saying that you can't do this. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Man, I have given you power. I have given you authority. I have given you an identity. So the idea that you have to somehow fall... It's just not practical anymore. Mm. So don't let yourself be fooled.
0: That is so well said, and I think that gives a lot of people hope because we're finally understanding more about the grace of God and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has set you free to have an abundant life, and I think it's just a a great book, The Master's Mind, The Art of Reshaping Your Thoughts. Lance Hahn with us, who is Senior Pastor of Bridgeway Christian Church in Rockland, California, and such a joy to have you here, Lance. It was great to have you. Thank you so much.
2: You are amazing. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. God bless you. Lance Hahn, again, the name of the book, The Master's Mind. Thank you for joining us here on Janet Muffer today. We'll see you next time.